a Highline podcast. Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Episode 100! Here we come! Welcome, you guys! 101. What? Oh my god, I meant to say 101. Oh my god. Uh. <laughs> well, here we are, episode 101. <laughs> uh, welcome. Uh, if you haven't noticed already, we kind of have a fresh look. Shout out to Dixie Lee Henning, Stephen's wife. My wife. Yeah. She did a great, fantastic job. Looks so good. We love it. Um, so welcome to the new us. Uh, Stephen and Emily, what are y'all drinking today? I... So, oh, go oh, ahead, go ahead. What? Oh, you go ahead, okay. by all means. Oh, no, please. You, no, you, after you. you. No, you. <laughs> you know what? Um, I'm going to go. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to go. So since we're recording, I'm recording in my church building. Um, so I kind of was scavenging through the fridge and I made myself a little kind of a little mimosa, but without the alcohol because I'm in my <laughs> church and I don't have alcohol here, but it's a really nice citrus refreshing burst of flavor that I just kind of uh, needed to spruce up my day. So nice. that's what I'm drinking. No, wait, I'm sorry. Are you drinking orange juice? No, I added other stuff too. Like what? I added, so I found like this little like cherry, like juice flavoring. So I put that in there and I added some sparkling water. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I, pineapple juice and then orange juice. All right. Oh, that actually sounds pretty good. Thank you. No, if I was just drinking orange juice, I would have just said orange juice. Yeah, Josh. (laughs) So yeah, I'm drinking like a screwdriver, but it's without the vodka. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was hearing you say. That's no, it does sound good though. Amazing. Thank you. Amazing. I am enjoying from Finley Brewing Company, uh, sent to us by one of our uh, community members, the Paradoxical Porter. Oh, yeah. Is it good? I haven't had that one yet. Honestly, I haven't tried a sip yet. So give me a sec. Sip, sip, sip. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, please. Oh, that is delightful. There's like, there's notes of orange and chocolate at the same time. So it's, mm. it's, oh. That's a fun mix. Does it have that kind of like thick porterness to it, or is it like a thinner one? Uh, it's it's slightly thinner, but I wouldn't say you couldn't sink your teeth into it, mm-hmm. uh, like a classic right. porter. You know, all right, wonderful, oh, delightful. What about you, Josh? I threw together myself a little cocktail with Rainier gin. They usually make beer, that but they made a gin. Uh, some grapefruit juice, some key lime Lacroix, nice big ice cube, 
And I threw a rosemary sprig in there. I've realized I've become such a simp for rosemary in my cocktails. <laughs> like, dude, it's so good. And I don't even love grapefruit juice, but this is good. Oh, so delightful. Wonderful. And I just had a beer. So this is like drink number two from my afternoon. And I think it's about to get, it's about to get real serious up in here. Oh. Um, I texted Emily and Stephen today and I was like, y'all are going to love this episode. Only hint I'm giving you is Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which really narrows it down. One word, yeah. Really narrows it down. So I've been rolling around a couple of like Bible ideas in my head, and I think I just want to like tackle them all in one episode, I guess. I don't know. Okay. My, I think my starter question is going to be, what does the Bible actually endorse? Because I've had that thrown at me like semi-recently, and I think it's a really interesting rhetoric about like the Bible doesn't endorse that. Like we we believe in what the Bible endorses as blank, like whatever the issue is. And I think we should talk about it. Like, what does the Bible actually endorse? Wow. Oof, duh. If it endorses anything or like, should we have a different framework, et cetera? But like, does it endorse anything? Man. Hmm. That, that's a hard question because <laughs> in my brain, I'm thinking about all the individual things. If we were to look at topic by topic, there are a plethora of things that I guess the Bible endorses, but it's whether or not do we believe in those things. So, like, mm. in a way, it endorses slavery. <laughs> like, yeah, we don't we don't hold on to that, though. And so I think that question, I don't want to say it's a loaded question, but it's a question that really makes you think about how what what do we actually think? And those, that's one of those questions that for me, it's like, what does the Bible endorse? Well, if we read the Bible, we see there are many things here that we may not agree on or see as being pertinent to our faith. And mm. that was just one example that came to the top of my head. So I would say the Bible endorses a lot of things. It's whether or not we actually endorse it ourselves or if we hold on to it as being valuable. I think the Bible endorses nothing because the Bible is not a living entity that can have thoughts of its own. And I think the Bible must be acknowledged as a multivocal collection of writings from people who are working out in real time to them what it meant to follow Yahweh and follow Jesus Christ. So, Stephen, would you appreciate the question more if it was... What do the authors of the Bible endorse? Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah, but even then, to Emily's point, I think there's uh, some pretty strong uh, indications that while Peter was willing to be slightly accommodationist uh, with slavery as it existed in Rome, I think he was anti-slavery, but... Is that the mm. case for all of them? So even then, I I still want to get more specific to be like, what does Paul endorse? What does Peter endorse? Totally. Mm -hmm. uh, because I just, I think treating the Bible as if it's like, you know, the stuff that's between the two very elaborately decorated leather covers in my hand has one opinion on every topic. And that's just so not true. Even for like the topics at the time, I would say. Yeah. Like not even talking about like modern topics. Yeah. Like for instance, I liked your, your point about Peter because it like reminded me of like the, sh the whole sheet coming down thing. Mm -hmm. And like to me, that is like a, such an obvious example of like the Bible saying two 
opposing things at different points in the Bible. And that's that's not even a good example, I don't think, of like a contradiction, quote unquote, but like literally just like the voices in the Bible are saying different things at different times. Sure. And but like most Christians, for instance, would say that like, therefore, the most recent one is the most accurate one sort of thing. I would even push even further and to say not even just who's authoring or writing the whether it's the particular passage or the chapter or the whole book, even um, I would even say who is involved in that particular situation, because we have characters or people throughout stories that the author is even talking about that may be having a different perspective or have an insight into a particular topic. So I Mm. think the author and those involved (laughs) are important to note. Yeah. Those involved in the story, like the silly example that just came to my head was, should we then take the book of Esther as an endorsement of beauty pageants? (laughs) Like, (laughs) I'm not I'm not convinced we should. But there may be those who do. And that's that's the other thing, too, is for people who do take that seriously. Yeah, but nobody is like to Stephen's point. Nobody's using the Bible to be like, we should have beauty pageants. Right. Hey, you never know. There are people who have used the Bible for various crazy reasons that we may not understand. Sure. I mean, I guess to your point, too, like there there's like a thread of beauty running through the Bible and like an appreciation for it. But I think that even like the question of I'm going to like attack myself a little bit. I think even the question of like, what does the Bible endorse? I think it presupposes that the that we should look to the Bible for endorsement, perhaps, because like a part of me wants to say like the Bible endorses love like it endorses the message of jesus it endorses love of your neighbor and like i could make a proof text argument of that but like if that's my only basis you can do that for so many things that's true so like i was yeah i was kind of thrown off with your question only because it makes me think of endorsing products right so you think of nike you think of (laughs) you know apple products like people who endorse so these people promote these products, they get a nice fat paycheck for it. And they may even have stipulations like you have to use these products and only these products. I know that's a huge thing in the sports world, NFL, NHL, MLB, like you need to use certain products if you are an endorser for those products. And and what does that say about Christians? Like we endorse crosses and fish you know, bumper stickers and it, yeah, I don't know. It kind of makes me feel icky when I hear that word endorse, like, ugh. Yeah, same here. Yeah. I'm just imagining being like middle of chapter two of Colossians. Paul takes a break and is like, have you ever needed a website to showcase your (laughs) your creative work? Use promo code at squarespace.com. Ugh. Gosh, <laughs> this book of Colossians brought to you by Square Scroll. <laughs> no, I think that's a really interesting point about like, uh, like modern capitalism and like products. And in some ways, I think that some denominations use a form of that in that they argue proof textually that their denomination is the most biblically endorsed or whatever. Mm. Or even if they're not putting it in those words, like. The example came to my head earlier about like baptism. Like we've talked about that before. And like some would say the Bible is endorsing 
child baptism. And others would say, no, the Bible is not endorsing child baptism. And I think that, yeah, I think like no matter the issue, if the issue is like, like liturgically related or like abstract or issue related, I think that a, a lot of people all over the Christian spectrum tend to fall back on like, well, what does the Bible actually say? Which like, I think can be really centralizing and centering for a lot of people. Like, like to invite people to the conversation but i also think it's like a hard question because like to steven's point i don't think that we can look to the bible for everything mm-hmm. and i also don't think it's it's certainly not clear about the things it talks about in most cases like ex- with maybe with the exception of a couple things but like i don't know so like where do we draw the line i guess like if if uh if we want to look to the bible for some form of spiritual truth how do we know what it endorses and what it doesn't if we're like trying to separate ourselves from just proof texting things out of context? Sure. Because there is a balance for sure. Well, I think the key though is highlighting that we have a book in front of us to bring us spiritual truth and not necessarily scientific truth or political truth or, you know what I mean? Is like, if you come to the Bible expecting to have an answer on how you should vote in 2024, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but some people don't think that. Some people genuinely think it is giving them guidance. You know what I mean? Sure. I mean, some people... I think that's what's hard about this question for me. Some people even treat the Bible as like a magic eight ball. Like whatever you land upon is that clearly must be the solution. Mm. And don't really even give it second thought. I've been wondering at that treatment of the Bible, because I remember like when I graduated high school, I was given this little index of like Bible verses that it's like, if you go to the worry page, here's 10 verses that'll help you not worry or feel free from worry or something like that. And that way, that mode of treating the Bible is so to me from the outside, uh, because that uh, treatment of the Bible does not resonate with me. And I will plead ignorance on the use of like tarot cards. But honestly, from the outside looking in, they kind of appear the same way to me of like, okay, Mm. cool. You drew a card. It's a tarot card. And it tells you something about your future or something about you. And it's like, we're kind of treating the Bible the same way in that case. And it's very strange to me that Christians are like terrified of tarot cards, but they still treat their Bible like that. Yeah. But that's kind of beside the point. Um, I guess, Josh, I just want to, like, if someone thinks the Bible endorses their political candidate or, or whatever, to keep going with that example of, like, tell me how to vote, I just think they're wrong. Right. To use it that way. I mean, I think so, too. But I think that's why this, like, question is so hard for me, because, like, the people that I see using, like, using the argument of the Bible endorses X, like, whatever it is no matter what issue it is, it like puts the burden of proof on the other person, I think, to say like, no, the Bible doesn't endorse that. But then it like almost avoids the question of what does the Bible endorse? Like they're trying to, in my mind, even like putting forth the hypothesis that the Bible endorses X, it's trying to subvert the question of like, what can the Bible endorse? Mm. And I think that's a better question, personally. I think it's a hard question and I think it's a scholarly question. Yeah. But like I'm thinking, for instance, now of wisdom and like I think I do think the Bible 
has a lot of wise things in it. I think that it's like begging the reader to be wise. And like maybe nowadays we would say we would more define that as like thinking for yourself in some ways and like leaning on people who have come before you. And like I think that's perfectly valuable. Like I think you can find true and valuable things in a text like the Bible and in the teachings of Jesus and but also other people. Like I think that's what the Bible is calling people to do. So like in some ways I guess you could say the Bible is endorsing that, but even I, I think that still feels weird to me for some reason. We're speaking of endorsement as uh, like a stamp of support or approval. Totally. Is that right? Okay. So I mean, that's the way I hear it used. In that case, I think the underlying question is what do you choose to trust the Bible as an authority on? And whether you view that as suggestive, authoritative, or authoritarian even, I think your approach to the Bible is like how much, man, like how much authority, you know, like, you know, I don't give two craps about what Ben Shapiro endorses because I don't respect the guy. So I'm not going to treat him as an authority in my life in literally anything, but he endorses stuff. Um, but I'm just not going to take that at face value and be like, oh, well, because he likes it, maybe I should consider it. I mean, that's, that's literally how advertising works, I suppose. But I think the underlying question really, if you're trying to figure out like, what does the Bible endorse is like, (sighs) I hate that I'm coming to an answer of like, what is your subjective opinion about the authority of the Bible? But that's kind of where I'm at with it. Is like but maybe I don't, yeah. I don't go to the Bible to learn cosmology. Like I don't go to the Bible to learn right what the universe was like 13.7 billion years ago. I go to the Bible for other things. But I get, and again, like the dis, the disconnect is like some people do, and and I don't. And I, to be honest, I don't know how to engage that at all. I just, I usually come away from a conversation like that having given my last two cents as we clearly disagree and I don't think we're going to. Well, okay. I really like your point about subjectivity actually, because another thing I've been thinking about lately is the idea of transliteration and if and how the concept of transliteration can apply to us understanding biblical interpretation. So like, can you say more to transliteration? Yeah, so like the the name Jesus is transliterated. It's not translated. Translated, it would be Joshua. It's like a straight oh translation from Hebrew, f- from Hebrew uh, pronunciation, changing the letters and pronunciation to English. Versus Jesus gets translated from Hebrew to Aramaic, I believe, and then. The Greek transliteration, like the, the Greek trying to pronounce the Aramaic word, ends up being Jesus. It's mm-hmm. kind of similar to croissant. I was thinking about this this last week, actually. Oh. <laughs> um, so like the French word is pronounced like croissant. It's like, it's like a very French pronunciation. And it just means crescent. So like if we translated it, it would mean crescent pastry. Like I would like that crescent. Right. But we've transliterated it and it's like we've like copycatted the word but we've put an english pronunciation on a french word yeah and so we say croissant 
And like, arguably, we kind of can't pronounce it the same way because we're not used to French pronunciation. So even if we try, mm-hmm. it still sounds weird. Right. So it's by sound or letter, not by meaning. Yes, but still like trying to indicate like the same object. Correct. Okay. That makes sense. So I feel like a lot of people are familiar with like the Jesus transliteration. And like there's other words in the Bible that that happens to, from what I understand. But I think what is interesting about that to me is I think if we applied that on like a social scale, we would understand that as like the church I grew up in taught me Jesus. I didn't learn just about Jesus from the original text. So like even if I believe in an original text importance authoritarian view, I didn't learn about it from that. I learned about it from my church. Someone else had to show me Jesus first. And I think, Stephen, you highlighting the subjectivity, I think that's super important. Like the way I've been thinking about it recently, because I think we should consider how other people view the Bible and Jesus. And Mm. for instance, the Pope views some things differently than Rachel Held Evans or the head of the Episcopal Church. Like, even if like people tend to agree or like have a certain approach, certain aspects of their theology or their underlying philosophy might be very different. And I, I think that it is good to acknowledge the, the differences and where we might find root in, I guess. I don't know. What would you guys say about that? Does what I'm saying kind of like make sense? Like the connection I'm trying to make about transliteration? I guess what I'm trying to get at is like the Bible means different things to different people and we shouldn't ignore that if I had to sum it up. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to put my thoughts into cohesive sentences. I, I think my tie in with the endorsement thing is like I think there's such a tendency on any side of any issue to just like get defensive and just take the opposite opinion and say like, well, the Bible doesn't mean that objectively. Mm-hmm. But I I think it's a different thing to acknowledge to say. I can recognize that you find that meaning in the Bible. Yeah. It's almost like I'm going back to like capitalism and, you know, materialism, but it's there are various different types of products. So there's not just Apple products. There's Samsung and Sony and all these others. And for, you know, athletics, there's Nike and Adidas and Patagonia and you name it. And so if if we were to all believe the same thing, then our Bible, we would all see it in the same light. But because we do have a difference of opinion, and it may vary as to why we see the Bible the way it is and the things that we take and believe for ourselves, it's almost the same as having those difference of opinions when it comes to products. And when we are focused so much on the negative and saying what it's not, we're almost losing sight of what it is. Yeah, I like the way you put that, Emily. I, I think that like a lot of people would criticize this like mode of thinking about the Bible as just relativist mm. or subjective. But like I think that's why this question of endorsement is hard for me because like I do believe that the Bible is saying A and not saying B in lots sure. of different cases. But like someone who believes nearly the opposite like i guess i've like come to feel like i'm at an impasse if i just propose my argument that is antithetical to their argument like whether they are atheist or fundamentalist or etc like i i think it's good to acknowledge that different people are reading the bible and coming to different conclusions Mm -hmm. 
Because I feel like if we don't address that, like we're just all going to be talking past each other. I guess that's like kind of where I've like come to. Mm-hmm. And I'm I not like sure that. like what the best way is to move forward. Because frankly, I think Christians suck at disagreeing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like how, how do I acknowledge that I have a different view of something like atonement to someone who has a completely different view that I like 100% disagree with? Like it's it's hard when it's black and white, ver- and like I almost think it's harder when it's not as black and white. Hmm. I think we're so bad at disagreeing because we're uncomfortable with the idea of a what if, or even just being wrong. Like we have to be right. Mm. We live in a society where you have to constantly prove yourself, and there is only one right answer. And you you need to be the one to have it, essentially. And if you don't figure it out, then there's something wrong. And I think a lot of that applies to our faith as well. And I think that's where the can be toxic nature of evangelism comes into play because it's rather than sharing the message, it's more of I need to prove and I need to prove it to you. So you therefore believe it and you can prove it to other people. And it's not so much as an engagement, but rather a forceful pushing on. We're, I, we are not comfortable with the idea of just being <laughs> as is and saying, hey, yeah, we do disagree. Let's have conversation. It's we disagree. So we need to fix this. Like we need to have one cohesive answer and I'm going to be the one to make sure it's my answer. Steven, you've been really quiet and I've been ranting a lot and I'd be really curious to hear what you're thinking about. Um, I feel like I am a very tough person. Like I, I must be frustrating to have a conversation like about the Bible with <laughs> uh, right now. Uh, like the hypothetical situation of I've gone out to a beer with a friend and we grew up in the same youth group. And the concepts of the Bible and like theology and these kind of like spiritual truths come up. And I just, I feel like I'm grappling with the idea of being a frustrating conversation partner uh, because I feel like I'm in the, I'm in a place with my faith and my opinion of the Bible where I more often than not just arrive with like, honestly, I don't know. And Right now, I'm not sure I care to know, I guess. Mm. Like, it it must be even frustrating to be making this episode of this podcast right now. Because, right, like, I think you have great questions, Josh. But right now, I keep coming up against a wall in my mind where I'm like, I'm not sure why I should care about this. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually really appreciate that. I, uh... Like, A, I don't know what to think, and B, maybe we're, maybe we're like, playing this out in real time, role play right now, because we're coming up against, I care, you, Josh, care about this question and what it could mean, and I don't. And in the same way, we could have a conversation about the Bible, and one person could not care what it endorses or not, or just have a very 
almost blanket policy like I think I do, which is to say I don't think the Bible endorses anything. I think it takes a lot of discernment on the part of the reader to know the writer, to know their audience, to know the characters in the story, to know, you know, all those kind of things. And even then, there's something more meta happening within the Bible, I think, rather than to say, you know, uh, to use the easy example again, is like, I, I know people who have used the Bible to endorse Democratic candidates and Republican candidates. So which one is it really? Mm. I'm not sure. And like, continuing to witness those kind of things just it feels like it keeps just driving the nail deeper and deeper in me to just be like i think we're all just using it wrong and i don't think we should even be thinking in these kind of categories for it yeah i mean i think that's fair i'm so like what would you think you would say to someone who wants to talk to you about the bible endorses x like how would you even like start that conversation of like I'm rejecting that whole idea of the Bible endorsing anything, <laughs> let alone a different opinion than yours. Beyond just saying that out loud. That's what I'm saying is like, I think that's why I'm the frustrating conversation partner, because I would probably just say <laughs> that. And it just makes everybody equally frustrated. <laughs> yeah. And that's not helpful. I recognize how that's not helpful. But well, I think that's my fascination here, too, is yeah. like, I'm, I don't think I'm convinced that the Bible is endorsing much if anything like even if we're talking about like meta narrative um over the course of thousands of years or like if christians want to just focus on the message of jesus like there's lots of like little things like in terms of like rules of thumb or like axiomatic proverbs or sure like the details kind of thing but in terms of like blanket clear statements like i also think it's a jump but I'm like left with the question of how do we meaningfully engage with people who do think the Bible is clear about X <sighs> when like just just saying like you you uh, I've okay so like I think part of the reason why I'm like thinking about this is because I in years past like over the last five to ten years I've just had so many what I think are unfruitful conversations. Like whether I have been arguing for an opinion that I think the Bible endorses or I'm arguing against people for an opinion that they think the Bible endorses something else or like when I was trying to be more apologetics-y. Like I just feel like I've had so many conversations that did not go anywhere because we were just talking past each other. And yeah, I don't know. I don't want to do that anymore. But it's also hard to like get out of that conversation sometimes or like help people understand that like not everybody sees the way they do. Mm. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. 
For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Ravel is a founding podcast of the Heinlein Media Network. And here's a word from one of our sister shows, No Normal People. Hello, and welcome to No Normal People. This is a show where we prove that the more you get to know the normal people in your life, you discover that there really are no normal people in your life. You know how there's like famous people in the world that are known very well and how they go on podcasts? Yeah. Well, we don't do marketable that. Marketable names and yeah, audience. Buzzwords, and, buzz yeah, names. Social following. Yeah. And, John yeah. Buzz. And, well, we interview people like your Uncle Terry, who collects model trains. Because he's normal. We'll even interview you, even if you don't have the cool trains that your uncle has. You can email us at nopeoplepod at gmail.com or visit our show page on www.highline.network to sign up to be on the show. And remember, the only normal people you know are the ones you don't know very well. Listen, we know every church nowadays has its own espresso bar. But that didn't stop us. We've partnered with Good Food Award winner Revel Coffee to present a custom Highline blend. This is not your church's undertrained barista's coffee. No, no, no. It's reliable, delicious, brews well with every home method, and honestly, it just smells great. This isn't your stale, burnt-to-a-crisp grocery store brand dark roast that tastes like it comes from the pits of hell. The Highline Blend is properly sourced, roasted to order, and shipped out fresh. Support us by ordering a bag at highline.network slash shop, or tap the link in the show notes. Do you think that thinking of transliteration as in like helping people become aware of like they were given ideas by somebody else in a way that was not directly from the original source. Do you think that that is potentially helpful? Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, just because I think in my raveling, even of my opinion of the Bible, I think it started with the realization that you know, original thoughts of the writer put on paper, sometimes through a scribe, and then that was copied, and then that was disseminated and maybe copied again, and and it was in this one language, and then it gets translated to this language. Like, I just all those intermediate steps between Paul the Apostle having an having a thought and me reading it there are so many things in between. And then especially when it's filtered through say a pastor giving a sermon or a youth leader leading a small group, like there's so many opportunities for things to be colored by the people who are translating, the people who are copying, um, you know, of like, I, you know, uh, some of the reformed theologies I was handed in high school were my youth leaders opinions on John Calvin's opinions on Paul's, 
opinions about Jesus. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I but I also think that doesn't discredit it. No. You know what I mean? Fair. But just waking up to the idea that 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 there are a few different lenses placed between you and the ultimate source of that thought that came from even if it's the lips of Jesus of Nazareth, right? So many things had to happen correctly in order for you to even know what Jesus of Nazareth thought two millennia ago. And I think just waking up to the realization of of all those different opportunities for filtering and opinions being embedded inside those, I think that was huge for me. So maybe maybe it does just start with a conversation about that reality of what we hold in our hands as the new English translation of the Bible, you know? Yeah. And I think we find ourselves in a situation where we're reading an opinion from someone who had an opinion about what someone said with their opinion, you know, like that was a great example, Stephen, because we have other figures in history who clearly vocalized what their opinion was on topics, you know, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Mm. The Bible is an accumulation of other people's voices about a person who supposedly said something like it's it's hard when we really don't know if that is, in fact, what Jesus said. We believe it is, but we don't really have like here. Yep. Here's a recording or here it is written on, you know, papyrus paper or whatever the case may be. And so when we find ourselves believing in something that someone supposedly said, or it's an opinion about someone because they had an opinion about something that someone said, it gets stretched in a way. And we just have to take it at that value question mark. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's like the youth group game of telephone of like Uh, 30 mm -hmm. kids sitting in a circle. One person starts the chain and to see what that see what becomes at the end as a youth group game is very fun but also it feels to me it felt weird that uh like looking back on it it felt weird that my youth pastor would choose that as a fun game as a fun activity because (laughs) it, it really has a weird effect of being like oh we played that game and i know exactly how that happens but hold on yeah okay but if we were like gonna look at like Christianity and Christian scholarship, I think that a lot of people use the telephone analogy to be like, see, this discredits everything. But like, mm. I agree that it's happening, but I I don't agree that that's like, I don't think that should be the end all be all. I don't think that's like the end of the conversation because like, like in reality, real people are passing things on to the next people. And that doesn't invalidate people's experiences either. Like, I think it'd be more accurate version of the telephone game if it was more of like a like a tree of evolution like it started with a and then in the b generation like two people told two different people and then that generation each of those told two different people and it's like a multi-level marketing thing but like there are so many splits in christianity that that's kind of true in some ways yeah that there's just been like this many different splits and that's why i think that the tracing back is so important like i think that some denominations are better at that than others like I think reformed theologians are fantastic at tracing back their theological roots to the reformation. They're super proud of it. Mm -hmm. And they can acknowledge that like, Oh, this idea comes from Luther. This idea comes from Calvin. And I think that's very intellectually honest. And I think that like more scholarly types are more likely to do that because that's kind of the norm in academia. Yeah. But 
I think what's hard is like making people aware of that when that's not the norm. Mm. Makes me proud to say I'm a Methodist. (laughs) (laughs) In what ways? Yeah. Do you feel like that is present in Methodism? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Hello, John Wesley. Like (laughs) if we don't if we don't refer to John Wesley, we refer to Luther. And if we're not referring Mm. to Luther, then we're referring to John Wesley. Like pretty, pretty cut and dry. But even then, you know, thinking back, we even see where John Wesley himself had a shift in belief and kind of a raveling of his faith, which is really cool. So love that. Not only do we say, oh, yeah, John Wesley said this. We also can say, yeah, John Wesley believed in this. And then we saw that change. And so we ourselves are open to having a change in belief. If even our founder can have a change of belief. Mm. That is really cool, actually. Yeah, many of the sermons that John Wesley wrote, you see some of that shift and change um, right actually before he died, which is really cool to say like early John Wesley writing versus later John Wesley writing. You can see some of the shifts in what he used to believe and what he believed in, you know, before he died. And it's really cool to say even the founder of a denomination he never actually really meant to create um, can have a shift in belief. And I think if we're comfortable with that idea, then reading the Bible and interpreting the Bible and taking on the Bible should be the same. Like, here's what Paul wrote. (laughs) Like, here are some writings from Paul later. Here are some writings from other people. There could have been a shift of opinion or change in belief. Yeah. And we should be okay with that, which means we ourselves should be okay with a change of belief. Hmm. Well, that's kind of what I appreciate about the whole, uh, I think this can be criticized for a number of different reasons, but I think that's what I appreciate about the whole Old Testament or the Old Covenant, New Covenant paradigm that's talked about a lot, in my experience, at least in American Christianity, is that it like acknowledges that like change does happen and sometimes the new supersedes and arguably includes the old. And I think some Christians don't acknowledge that. Like it's, I think it's really, I think it can be challenging to acknowledge where you've come from and not just like treat it as if it never happened. Like whether that means Judaism, whether that means like your previous religious experience yourself, or whether that means just like a shift in theology. Like if we wanted to get really inerrant about it, I think you could very easily proof text that the Bible is arguing that faith change will happen. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that's a huge jump, you know? But I also don't think you have to make that argument. <laughs> you know what I mean? So what are we left with? You know, like at the, at the end of it all, it's like, are we in a bigger mess than we were when we first started this episode? <laughs> <laughs> and if we are, are we comfortable with that? Mm. I am. I think it's fine that the Bible doesn't endorse much or arguably anything for the modern person. But I also don't think it's like intellectually wrong to hold that it does endorse some things. Mm -hmm. I think I have more of a problem with people not acknowledging that different people hold that the Bible endorses different things. I really like the idea of stepping away from talking at each other and instead actually engaging with. That's, I think, crucial for me, especially as a pastor where like Mm. my whole job is people view it as I'm talking at people on Sunday mornings. And really it's 
like today, had a really fiery sermon about Luke chapter 12, where he's talking about the fires of refinement and division and, you know, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and things like that. And rather than talking at people and forcing an opinion down their throat, it's I'm engaging in this topic with you. Like I am actively discerning alongside you. And if you have a difference of opinion, I welcome it because that's how we that's how we grow. And however God is speaking to you, I can't say yay or nay to that because I'm not God. Mm. <laughs> and I can't be in your heart and say, nope, that's wrong. So biblical interpretation is the same. I there are life-giving ways of interpreting scripture and recognizing if and any things that the Bible endorses, but it is not in my authority to tell you it's wrong. What is in my authority is to say, tell me more. Like, you know, you you say this. Can you explain? Like, can you actually teach me so I understand versus trying to prove me wrong? Because in proving me wrong, the only thing it's doing is A, shaming me and B, also telling me everything about biblical interpretation is going to be solely based on what you believe rather than actually facing the fact that it's open to interpretation. (laughs) So it's just really messy and complicated. And honestly, I think I'm starting to get a headache from it. But that's a good thing at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, like how do you as a pastor draw theological conclusions? Like, wow. <laughs> I don't know how else to ask that. <laughs> what like, a like, question. How, like, I'm really curious about how you, um, because I think your answer is really interesting, but like practically then, I, so, how do you yourself draw those conclusions and or approach people who are drawing conclusions? So there's a wonderful thing called commentaries where it is <laughs> multiple voices coming together and sharing interpretation. And what's, really great about that is it points you in a direction, but it's not saying here's the answer. And so I have the joy of saying, here's a direction I can go, but maybe God is speaking something else. And so maybe I can take a little bit and maybe add a little bit more over here and partially share my opinion. But again, not saying my opinion is the opinion. I make it Mm. very clear this is my opinion. This is what God's speaking to me. What is God speaking to you? I always turn it back to the congregation or to those who are listening to Mm. say, this is just my voice, but it's not the voice. Like if it was the voice, then everyone would be attending my church. But obviously that's not how the world works. And so pastors do treat themselves like that. You know what? And that is an absolute shame to the name pastor. (laughs) Like Mm. we are meant to be shepherds and to guide, not to force. You know, we we are meant to be walking alongside in our faith journey and to give some guidance, guidance, right? We are not forcing and we shouldn't be forcing our own ideologies or beliefs down people's throats because that is not life giving and that it's not any way to actually grow people in the faith. If I want people to come and join my church, Mm. they're not joining because my opinion is correct. (laughs) 
They're joining because they love the community, they love the environment, and they love the openness and the freedom to believe what they want and to feel welcomed and heard and appreciated. That is what my job is. And so even on those hot button issues or a sermon that's so challenging that I know can be interpreted either very surface level or very literal or very abstractly and confusingly, my job is to say, here is one opinion, but there are others. Let's engage in those together. I like that. I think that's a great summary. Uh, I think that that's what I'm trying to reach for with the transliteration example is like acknowledging Mm -hmm. commentary and that like we don't come to our ideas in a vacuum and we often, in my experience, we often treat them like we do. But I also don't think it's a bad idea to come to your own conclusions. Uh, It's just hard to like acknowledge where you've been influenced by. mm. Yeah. So one thing Emily got me thinking about just now, uh, which admittedly I think is just like, plucking on a bias string inside me right now. It at least resonated a lot more than any discussion about the Bible we could be having right now is I think to treat the Bible as the quote unquote word of God in a vacuum is also problematic. And I think Mm. assuming that the Bible is the only way we could possibly get, uh, have an experience of communication with the divine is very short-sighted. And I think, I guess, Josh, to answer one of your earliest questions, I think the way I would try to bridge the gap between someone I'm in discussion with cares about what the Bible endorses and I'm in a place that I don't care, I think it's actually trying to get the conversation to elevate outside the Bible and uh, really engage the nature in which God can communicate with us outside of the Bible. Like Mm. the way that some people talk about, like nature can teach us things about the nature of God. You know, uh, Mm. I think, you know, the reactionary forces that are being inspired in our climate due to our poor choices in poisoning our atmosphere, right. And raising global temperatures. I think, that is one way God is actually speaking to us of like, hey, you are poisoning the earth I made you. You are poisoning the place I asked you to be fruitful and multiply and take care of. And that is the way that it can be communicated back to us is like real effects of climate change. Beyond that, I would even consider truly like supernatural luring of God to different opinions or to different uh, theological stances uh, as a respectable and uh, viable form of faith shift to see endorsement differently. You know, whether that be through even a, an extreme experience of grief, I think that can teach us sometimes more than the Bible can. And sure, maybe the Bible then is in the, in the position of providing commentary on our grief as we read the story of Job and see how that worked for him and his friends, you know, but I think the engagement that Emily is speaking to, I think is absolutely the right way to go. And I think that includes even elevating the conversation out of the Bible and getting to an experience. Um, And maybe this is just me because I want things to be a lot more about my experience of God and the subjectivity of that experience. But I think that's Mm -hmm. a great way to start is like, 
you know, I've had this experience and you don't necessarily get to tell me that I didn't. And this is Mm. part of the place I'm coming from. So like my opinion of the Bible has been shaped by a handful of what I consider truly mystical experiences in my life to date. And I don't think my Bible or my opinion of the Bible will change based on an argument to say that I should consider it differently or elevate my opinion of its authority. Because I think a real experience of the divine in the way that I believe I've experienced it, I honestly want it to be this way. And I think it should Mm. provide more than just like a logical argument based on the Bible. I really like that rooting in experience. I think that's huge. Like, like uh, while you were talking, one of the things that came to mind is Jesus had a different experience of the Bible than we do. And like, therefore, every author of the Bible, every commentator since has had a different experience of the Bible than we do. Like we read through our own experience and our own lens, our own culture. And I, I think in some ways it's honorable of people to try and divorce they're reading from that. But I also think it's very honest to just say like, I'm reading it this way based on like my experience with grief. I think that's a great example, honestly. And it also doesn't discount necessarily another person's reading. Yeah. Yeah. The example I'm thinking of too, because I just finished reading C.S. Lewis, um, his book Miracles. And I've been thinking about like the supernatural and miracles because of it and where i come from when i come to ideas of miracles is like i have not had an experience of what i would consider a miracle at this point and that so that is clearly going to inform my opinions of whether they happen at all but i also just like you're saying i want to come to it with at least enough humility to say just because I haven't experienced it doesn't mean it doesn't happen and doesn't exist, right? Like, just because I have not walked on the soils of Africa doesn't mean that continent doesn't exist, right? Like, I, I have to be mm. able to recognize that at the same time. You know what's funny about that is I think I've seen a lot of that logic employed in charismatic circles uh, regarding miracles specifically in that, like, well, just because you haven't experienced the supernatural doesn't mean it's not real. Sure. I think it's hard for me to define the line between where theology is democracy and where it's not. Ooh. Like, because <laughs> I've had this one rolling around in my head too, and I wasn't sure if it was going to come up in this Bible conversation or not. Because, like, I will often, I've found myself falling back on, well, most Christians don't believe that as like a trump card. But, like, if I really take apart that argument, like, that's kind of a logical fallacy. But in the same way, it's also a fallacy the other direction. If you're like going with the underdog, like as in like it must be somewhat real because like some people believe it. Yes. Right. Yeah, man. I don't know. That's like one of those. It's like really hard for me to parse out because in some ways I think like theology and mass, more people talking, more people coming into the conversation with their experience. In some ways, I think that that does theoretically lead us to truth or more truth. Question mark. Question mark. (laughs) But also just because everyone agrees on something doesn't make it true either. Emily, what do you think? (laughs) You're the one that's like the most institutionalized here, like with a church that has policy. Yeah. Yes. But we're also seeing 
in our denomination at least a shift because of differences of opinions <laughs> like right. splinters happen and there are policies and polity and liturgy and aspects of the bible that we disagree on and it comes down to interpretation and so it's for me it's do i engage in conversation in order to grow for myself and to see the other person as a person or am I engaging in this conversation to belittle the person and to prove myself correct? And that's with any aspect of my life, including how I interpret scripture and how I act out my faith. And for institutions, and again, being a Methodist, I'm going to revert to Methodist beliefs. You know, we, our mission is, you know, open minds, open hearts, open doors. And so if we were to live by that, that means that we are going to welcome individuals who have a difference of opinion and we are going to welcome them as equals and as beloved children of God. And to know that a difference of opinion doesn't make you any less than and it doesn't mean that it's an opportunity for us to then indoctrinate you and to change your belief for the sake of just changing your belief. because. Many people see that as an opportunity. And if your beliefs change, cool. If they don't change, cool. Like that's not for me to to judge or to say. Mm. And so it it just is really complicated when we really dissect the whole idea of because you believe in this, you are now different or less than versus because you believe in this. And just leaving it at that. <laughs> like we have a really hard time with just saying we believe in different things and that's okay. Or even like the uh, like the permission to give to people to grow on their own terms. Like I think, yes. I think that's kind of what I'm hearing you say is like trying to like treat people respectfully when like and still being able to acknowledge that we disagree, but like without presuming that they will change to our beliefs. I think that's so challenging, though, like no matter where we're at, like, I don't know, there's a part of me that feels like if every person who had a fringe belief, I'm just like thinking about like the power of groupthink and like it can be so powerful, but also so damaging. Like if every person in the world who believed that Jesus was actually a plant, I know this is is such a ridiculous example, but if everyone who believed that Jesus was a plant, actually, if every one of those people was the only person who went to a church that didn't believe that, eventually they would not believe Jesus was just a plant. They would believe Jesus was a human and probably God just because of like how groupthink works. So part of me like wants to recognize the democratic hold on theology and that like the more you're a part of a group, the more you acknowledge the things that the group says it believes on a whole. But I also think disagreeing can be important like historically in Christianity, lots of people have just been like the thorn in the side of Christianity and have like changed it for the better. So like, that's also possible. So yeah, I'm not really sure what to think about the like theological democracy, (laughs) I guess. Hmm. Like, I guess to bring it back to a real example, just because most Christians believe in, I don't know, Jesus walked on water. That doesn't make it true. But, like, eventually, if most Christians believe that, it will probably turn into all Christians believe that. 
unless like in Emily's example, unless it just like turns into a split so that like people can retain their beliefs. And then all of a sudden we have Christian group A that believes Jesus walked on water. And then we have Christian group B that believes he didn't. And honestly, that's probably more likely. That's probably why we have so many denominations. We've talked about this, but. And even like if that's the case, there's still nothing wrong with that. Like that's, Mm. that's, you know, yes, the United Methodist Church splitting and we now have the global Methodist Church. Like it's sad that that happened, that we couldn't come to an agreement on the fact that we disagree and we Mm. thought the only solution was to create an entirely new denomination. And while that hurts, it doesn't change anything for me because I'm still going to believe what I believe and I'm still going to see those individuals as equals and to say, you have a difference of opinion. That's okay. Mm. Like we can, we can see that we disagree. It's whether or not are we still willing to engage with one another and try to promote love in the best way possible and to, care for individuals and to love our neighbor in the best way possible. And if we even disagree on that, which I hope we don't, but even if we do, can we still act out our faith in the best way possible rather than worrying about how other people are acting out their faith? Because if we focus so much on other people, but we don't focus on ourselves and what we're doing, then we're also missing the point when we are so constantly pointing the finger at people and we realize there's a finger pointing back at us. It's We just have a lot of examination to do. Okay, so I'm curious to ask it at the end again. I don't know if we've ever done that. The circle back. The circle back to the original question. Yeah. What do you think the Bible actually endorses? Stephen, are you still on side nothing? Yeah, my opinion hasn't changed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's very honest of you. (laughs) I I just think the nature of endorsement is the wrong way to think about it. How, how would you frame it differently? I, I think the compilers of the Bible as canon or even the authors that were writing it down at the time, I'm not convinced that endorsement was the paradigm that they were operating under. Um, and this is, I mean, this kind of betrays my overall opinion of the Bible as not necessarily inerrant, but at least inspired. And I think what that means to me is that the authors or the compilers wished to keep a document together that inspired us to continue asking these questions and continuing to seek the face of the loving divine. I 100% love that answer. I, I'm super into that. I think that's a great way to I don't it. think it's necessarily trying to endorse one thing over another. I think, I, I think it is designed in part to, yeah, to, to tell us stories of what has happened as people who have struggled with the same kind of questions and what can happen when that devolves to civil war and Israel splits, you know, or what can happen when a community is so uh, knit together by the same ideas that they, they get a letter from Paul to the Philippians that is full of praise for their community and it ends up being put forth as a, an example of what a church should look like, you know? I think it's about inspiration, not endorsement. Hell yeah. Okay. Yeah. Love that take. Emily? My answer is yes. (laughs) (laughs) Just like straight opposite. (laughs) What is the Bible endorse? Yes. (laughs) Exactly. It's it's open to interpretation. So who am I to say what it does or doesn't? Like my opinion's gonna be different than your opinion. And like if that's the if that's the point of it all, then it's doing its job, mm. in my opinion. And so, yes. 
I'm going to pull a classic nine and say, I agree with both of you. I think both of those takes are like so <gasps> accurate. Yes. And I think that that's like what's hard for me in like thinking about this and like trying to approach someone who is thinking about the Bible more, I was going to say linearly, but that's not quite the right word. Like, I guess more exactly, like the Bible endorses X. I like, I also want to try and figure out like, how do I like have a conversation about this when like I'm not operating in that paradigm, but I like want to like approach you where you're at. Yeah, right. Oh, that's a challenge. Indeed. I'm not sure I'm closer to that now after this episode or not, (laughs) but I appreciate you guys uh, chatting about it. A valiant effort, at least. That's all that it's about. It's just starting the conversation. And even if we don't come to a conclusion or we have disagreements or we're more puzzled than we were when we began, that's what this whole thing is about. And at the heart of it all is what matters. And the fact that we even engage in this conversation is important. Like, even if we're not feeling it or we're confused, the fact that we even started it is what matters. So just keep having it. Keep starting those conversations. Yeah. Nice. Media Network, artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.